Everyone, welcome. It's Wednesday once again, and it's time for Catalog and Cocktails, honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy over at Data.World, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, everybody. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's Wednesday, middle of the week, towards end of the day. I mean, today we're doing live a little bit an hour earlier, but it doesn't matter. It's Catalog and Cocktails. It's time to take that break and chat about data. And today is such an awesome, awesome day because we're going to have the one and only Ari Kaplan, who's the head evangelist at Databricks, was a former global evangelist at Data Robot, but he's the real Moneyball guy, right? Remember that movie, the, the Moneyball? Like that was based on all of his experiences at, at, at MLB. And Ari, how are you doing? It's great. great. To be here. Yeah, great to see you again, uh, Juan. You and I had met at the CDOIQ event. In Boston, hit it off, had lunch together. So uh, really great to have the invite. And Tim, you know, we we had some great conversations leading into this, but doing well. You two live in Austin. Tim, you're in San Fran. I'm in Chicago. But yeah, great to to connect. I, I love listening to your your show. You've had so many seasons of, of great guests and success. Yeah, no worry. Call out that we met because of uh, because of Cindy Housen from ThoughtSpot. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been on Cindy's been a guest over here, so I'm just really great that the, the whole data community gets connected. So, anyways, so cool. Uh, let's kick it off. What are we drinking? And what are we toasting for? Sure. I'll I'll start off. Well, I'm drinking Honey Bee Latte from my local. Uh, it's called Bourgeois Pig Cafe. If you're in Chicago, it's it's a great place. Great sandwiches. And I have in my uh, McLaren Formula One mug, spent the last couple of years traveling the world, having an amazing life adventure, um, you know, working with the race strategy team. And uh, who am I toasting? So anytime I get an open toast, I always dedicate it to a gentleman named Rao Wallenberg, who's a Swedish hero during uh, the Holocaust, rescued tens of thousands of people. And I had, had and still am honor of helping with the data-driven investigation into his fate. And when you do a toast, he used to toast people um, saying to life and to the future. So that, that's my toast. Nice. I said that's that many times. With also a great toast. Yeah. How about you two? I am uh, actually on the 45th floor in downtown San Francisco right now. So uh, I'm going to uh, toast to not being afraid of heights here and also second your toast. Uh, and actually, I don't have a cocktail, unfortunately, because of how early it is. But I have a nice San Pellegrino here that I'll be I'll be drinking. <laughs> well, um, I went into my bar and as always get home, I'm at home and I'm like, what did that what what random thing is in there? And I just saw some uh, vo vo cucumber vodka. I'm like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> So I put some, actually had some cucumbers. I sliced up some jalapenos and I got some vodka, cucumber, soda, spicy. And, and, and let's just cheers to that, Aria. We'll really, really enjoy that. So cheers, everybody. Cheers. cheers. That's a, an amazing concoction. Might go viral. It's actually a really refreshing right now. And it kind of gives you that spice of your yeah. kind of sleepy will kick, kick you, wake you up. Cucumbers are great in, in cocktails and so, and so are jalapenos. So you're getting the best of both worlds there. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we got a warm-up question here today. So given your role as evangelist, we asked, what is something that is not popular that should be evangelized more? Hmm. Not anything. So, yeah, good question. And and I expect more of these uh, spontaneous questions. I welcome them. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'll give two answers. One is like just general and then like an actual thing. So general, I think more people need to evangelize and promote being vulnerable. A lot of people just like on social media, when you talk at events, it's like everyone's perfect. And, uh, you know, that vulnerability adds some sense, you know, you don't want to hear like too much information, but, you know, just admitting, you know, everyone's learning, no one's perfect. Uh, you know, we're all like pointing in the same vector direction. So vulnerability is something that needs to be incorporated more. And then, I don't know if, you know, offhand, you know, I, I love open source, but that is popular. Hundreds of millions of downloads. If you haven't heard of Langchain, that's like one of the cool things I met there. Um, CEO Harrison and, um, you know, people probably heard of GitHub as like a resource. You might have heard of Hugging Face, which is kind of LLM. And Langchain 
has like had a huge uptick in popularity. So if you're into LLMs and you're beyond, um, you know, which, which is a bit uh, jaded by now, like, wow, it can write essays and stuff. If you're already beyond there and you want to actually do something and make something happen, you know, Langchain is like a website to help, you know, piece all different puzzles uh, together, kind of like GitHub in a way to share code and stuff. So I, I, I like evangelizing that. Nice. I think those are great ones. And I, I love that you mentioned vulnerability as well. I think that's a, a, a great thing that, that folks need to, to be more willing to do. It kind of reminds me of a, like radical candor as well in terms of like being, being a little more exposed and, and, and being direct, right? Uh, putting yourself out there. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate you bringing up that vulnerability. I mean, especially now you see everybody on social media just always talking about all the great things I've done, but we're, nobody's talking about like the, the things that are, have not worked. And one thing that also reminds me is uh, something that I would like to kind of evangelize more in this main is uh, I'm reading this book called Fierce Conversations. Hmm. Right? We need to have more fierce conversations, which falls into the whole attitude of just need to be honest, no BS, please. Mm -hmm. That's that's one. And I, actually, this is going to be a good segue to our conversation today, but I think I, at least I, you know, we live in our bubble where we think about Langchain, like that's what I hear almost every day, right? So I'm like, I cannot believe that that's not like you haven't heard about it, but we got to get ourselves, get ourselves outside of our bubble and realize there's a lot of that and people need to go learn, which is a, a good segue. Let's, let's kick this off. So Ari, honest, no BS. Like in our world, I hear Lake House all the time, but honest, no BS. What is a Lake House and how is this different from databases, data warehouses, data lakes and so forth? Yeah, yeah, and and it's it, it's also remarkable that, that um you know not everyone understands or have heard of a lake house, but it's basically like the modern data stack. There's like historically you have uh, data warehousing databases, which is structured data, numbers, you know, categories, uh, looking at what happened in the past. That's I used to work for Oracle at one point as president of the Worldwide Oracle User Group, so that's like the original paradigm. And then there's a whole separate paradigm like data uh, lakes, which is like unstructured data, videos, PDFs, Word docs, um, machine learning, making predictive algorithms, things like that. And there are two very separate uh, ways to do, uh, you know, figure problems, do use cases, uh, one structured, one unstructured. And, uh, you know, so you have, is, so I would say the best way to do predictions is when you have multimodal data. You have data that's both structured and unstructured. And that's where this concept of the lake house or the data lake house uh, comes into play, where it's like one environment where you have all types of data in one environment, streaming data too, like with social media and the IoT. So you have all different data types and that way you can make the best, uh, most likely the best insights. So that's one thing is it's one platform and there are many vendors doing this my you know no sales no bs but you know i do historically uh, my company databricks was the uh, creator of it but it's uh, now it's like a whole big marketplace with a lot of companies doing it you know we've been founded proudly so on open source which maybe we'll talk about now but yeah that's that's what the lake house solves is you have one umbrella one governance instead of having some password control or uh you know for the data warehouse and the data lake it's just like one environment you understand like the lineage from the open to the to the end how it all flows um so you know so there's a lot of governance play and the other nice thing is you know based on this parquet um you know delta lake it's called um the performance is like astronomical. Um, when I worked at Oracle, we we're talking about millions or maybe billions of records. And now you're talking about hundreds of billions, if not trillions of records, which is needed when you have somebody doing, you know, some generative AI or doing some query, you want the response to be like in real time, you're playing a video game and you need to be matched with your opponent in under a second. Um, the, the, the speed uh, of which it's done is incredible. So that, that's kind of like what the modern lake data lake house is. Okay. And no, I think that's actually a very helpful explanation around it. And, uh, I, and, and you're right. I, I remember the first time I ran into, uh, the lake house concept. Um, I believe it was Databricks. Maybe this was back in like 2017 or something like that along those lines. Right. It was maybe even earlier than that. 
um, where fo folks were talking a lot about data lakes, but then I think folks were starting to hit some of the struggles around Hadoop and things like that. Some mm -hmm. of the big data excitement was starting to fade. And my, my interpretation of, of Lake House, and I'm curious if, if you think that this is a good way to think of it, is you kind of talked about those two modes, right? There's sort of the structured data warehouse, and then there's more of the data lake, unstructured, maybe a little bit more, you know, large scale kind of thing, right? Um, that the lake house is kind of like, hey, can I have the best of both worlds? Can I can mm -hmm. I bring that together in a smart way where I get I get the benefits of each, but as you mentioned, kind of in a in a single governed kind of platform. Exactly, and like unified platform, you get all those benefits, and then there's other, you know, uh, so many things we could talk for hours. But like you could do SQL now. Um, like I've I, I should also say I am technical. Um, you know, so I've stood up Hadoop clusters. It's a pain. It's complex. It took me quite some time to get it right and working. But now it's a bit democratized, too. It's easy enough. You can do SQL against any end data. You can do Python or Scala um, you know, against any, you know, where, where the target is, structured, unstructured, all unified, which, you know, something to be said about democratization and simplification, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny how, you know, all of this, uh, you know, going back to the beginning of Hadoop and things like that started without without it really being about SQL. But now it's all kind of come back to things like Parquet and SQL. And as you've mentioned, in some cases, really, really good performance. Um, it, can, can you go a little bit more? You mentioned about AI, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and how the lake house can be pretty helpful with that. Obviously, AI is a big focus for a lot of organizations now and, and how they can take advantage of it. Like, how does a lake house, you know, support, you know, a company's AI strategy and, and what they need to do there from a technology standpoint? Great. Well, you know, uh, I'd start by saying, you know, how do you define AI? So, you know, at least generally speaking, you know, you have your modern LLMs, which is kind of all the rage. So that's generative AI. How can you take a lot of information and uh, give, you know, some insights, whether it's text or, or artwork or things like that? Um, which could have incredible use cases, especially when it's based on your own company data. Like, hey, what were my sales the last couple of quarters? What do I predict it to be? Uh, you know, my mother-in-law wants to go into surgery. What's the best doctor in my zip code? So that's generative AI and people shouldn't lose sight or should also be aware of traditional AI, which is how do you make predictions based on something in the past? What's a pattern that could be in the future? Uh, transparency of that, of like what features or variables are helpful for predicting, um, and then classifications. Um, you know, is something likely to occur or not? Is this, uh, you know, what type of artwork is this? What type of customer is this? Um, what type of lifetime value? So that is like all of those use cases are all perfect for the lake house. And so when I said multimodal is generally the best to do AI, um, so if you just have a data warehouse and you just have numerical uh, type of information, you will get predictions. They, you know, probably, you know, they may very well be very good, but when you start adding in text and other information, um, it, it won't hurt the model, but it's very likely that the model will get more and more accurate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and vice versa, if you only have video, you want to have some tags in the video, which are numeric or text. So the more variety of data, kind of like going back to the Vs and big data, the more volume and variety of information you have, the more likely you could do better predictive analytics, which is part of AI. So th those are like high level. And then the, you know, the lake house itself uh, lends itself very, very well. Since the data, um, the other thing you know, we didn't mention is not just the time, but the cost. If you have two separate systems of copying data all over the place and securing it. If you have to keep copying data, you know, that doubles, triples, exponentially grows. But if you could do AI on like data of where it uh, exists already without having to move that data, um, much cheaper, much less storage costs uh, and, you know, potentially lower compute costs, like yeah. dramatically. Like, yeah, you don't want to have to be duplicating the data a lot, especially when you're talking about really large data sets, which may be leveraged for some of these either AI models or machine learning models. Um, and, and 
uh, you know, I, I know obviously you can use SQL and things like that with lake houses, but uh, I know a lot of lake houses, such as Databricks, for example, have um, a lot of sort of tools for data scientists as well, right? Is that is that a key aspect around lake house as well? Exactly. And that's been a large part of my career even before Databricks is mm -hmm. how can you make tools for the data scientists, uh, you know, that you want to make people both more efficient um, efficient, at least in the way that the boring and repetitive and time-consuming parts of their job gets automated. So everyone gets elevated to do like more of the complex work. So yeah, the, the whole simplification, there's another like uh, market called auto machine learning or auto ML. Um, uh, so that's one part is how do you automate, whether it's like the workflow, ingesting raw data, making it's called the medallion, you know, uh, silver, gold, you know, bronze, gold, and, and so on. Uh, uh, building features upon features or, you know, variables based on other variables. All of that um, is perfect for, for tools for the data scientists. And then above and beyond that, like the whole, like Unity catalog, the whole unification. Um, when I started with baseball, I'm sure we'll get into that. It was a one-person show. I had to do everything, which means I wasn't, collaborating on the programming, but now you have teams of 10, 20, 100, you have teams uh, with thousands of data scientists and data engineers. So you, uh, you know, it lends itself to more of a collaboration platform. So if it was the three of us, we'd all be working together. Juan writes some Python code and shares it with me, uh, you know, et cetera. We all can share. So that is um, one part of it is like the collaboration then the other cool thing that's just now happening, just really starting out in the industry the last couple of months, are using uh, like Gen AI to help with the coding experience. Mm -hmm. So before you would type and it would like autofill, like select star from, it would like autofill the table name and stuff like that. Um, uh, then the next version is as you type, it brings up like ideas of what other people at your company have done. And now using Gen AI, like it thinks of like other just questions other coders at your company have asked. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like using AI to as like an assistant, an yeah. intelligent assistant for coding, for writing whole programs. And uh, most of the, the world, when you watch television, just thinks, hey, you know, it, it's writing essays at my kid's school. But there's a big chunk of that that's doing code generation. You know, yeah. write a Python code that does this and add comments, uh, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's not just for your book report, right? You can, yeah. uh, and I know we've been experimenting a lot with code generation at data.world as well, both internally as well as customer facing stuff. And uh, it's pretty incredible. Like, uh, in, you know, there's a lot, there's a huge productivity game, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Juan and I were talking at our lunch with Cindy House and others about you, you uh, have this incredible AI lab. I'd love to see more of it someday, but yeah, what, what's what's real, what's not, what's at the leading edge? Yeah. Well, I, I know we want to go a little bit more into uh, to talking about Gen AI and, and code generation. And also, I know we definitely want to come and talk a little bit more about sports as well, because that's a really fun topic and you have a lot of history there. Um, but before we do that, just on, you know, to kind of cap off on some of the Lake House topic, um, you know, I think we talked a lot about some of the benefits around Lake House. Um, you know, honest, no BS. That's part of our, mm -hmm. our, our kind of conversation here. Right. I want to ask, you know, can't lake houses also be more complicated? Because I know that, you know, even though databases are, are you know, uh, you know, more of a structured database can be a little bit limiting, can be more sort of single mode. Right. In some cases, obviously, lake houses, you know, they might have clusters and zones and, you know, like it can get a little bit more complicated, you know, uh, you know, talk about that. Are, are there some downsides there? And, you know, how do you mitigate against that? One thing I want to add to this is that mm -hmm. if we look at history, like it's always pendulum swings, right? So it's mm -hmm. themes that we've gone to, like, we're going on this pendulum to one side and I'll add everything and, and, and where, where does it end? And is it going to keep going somewhere or is it going to swing back uh, here? So I'm right. curious to get your perspective about this because the, the follow-up on this is like, so what's next? Like, what is the lake house then missing that uh, you can argue that says, oh, it needs to also have this other thing? Or is it now, quote, unquote, complete? Right. So where, what are, you know, what are the pitfalls of lake house? And then, you know, is this, have we reached the destination or is this a stop on the way? That's a good way of putting it, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great way to put it. And yeah, and it's, it's like a dichotomy 
of what we call personas. You have technical people where they don't care if it's simple or not. They want to write their own code, um, Python, you know, whatever, R, SQL, whatever, you know, pick your language of choice, Scala, et cetera. So they kind of like, you know, just want to dig in and don't worry about GUIs or anything like that. Then you have the whole democratization. Um, and, and this is, you know, kind of the, the question or the challenge that I've had with every software company that I've been at. Um, and, you know, uh, was that Oracle, Data Robot, Databricks now is, you know, what personas do you uh, gear towards? Yeah, and, more, more technical, more yeah. business. And, and even those are too broad, right? Really, there's much more sp specific personas. Yeah, yeah, like persona, data engineer, data workflows, data scientist, uh, end user, business user. Mm. Put in a link from like Microsoft Excel so you could do stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, the the... The best technology, you know, is if you have a little for each. So if you want to roll up your sleeves and really drill down, that it makes things as easy as possible. Like if you're in a notebook, which is like a programming environment, how can you make it as extensible as possible? How can you seamlessly plug it in um, like to third party solutions too? Um, open source is another thing we, we, we should bring up. Uh, open source is something that opened my eyes uh, when I joined Databricks. Our founders created, you know, we're, we're the creators of Apache Spark, uh, Delta Lake, MLflow, which I, I thought would have like hundreds of thousands of downloads, but they have um, uh, uh, over a billion downloads per year is the rate, which is insane. And open source, I, I'm a big fan of even more so now, since you have the whole community contributing uh, to it. Uh, so you have really smart people and, you know, hopefully the best ideas bounce up to the top. So that that's one thing that's like the technical side. How can you make them more efficient so it's easier for them to like code quicker, debug quicker, see the workflows quicker. When um, they're doing a date, an AI model, they know what the source of the data was, like it's called lineage, all the way up to what models are being used. How is the data drifting? Should I recalibrate my models? But then you have on the other end, um, uh, non-technical people that you'd want to enable to do data science-like things. And one reason you want that is um, for every data scientist, I conducted the study in my last company. We looked at LinkedIn job titles. For everyone with a data scientist uh, or very similar job title, there were um, 30 people who had like business analyst titles. So if you enable them to do, you know, at least beginning intermediate level data science type questions, um, you just increase your value 30 fold and even more so for like Excel users, you know, so the democratization is great, but that case, you still need people who know math and probability to kind of make sure it's guided correctly. Mm -hmm. And then there's that whole semantic layer, which helps with that. Like when, you have a non-technical person saying, what were my sales last quarter? You wanted to know what is a what is a sale? Does it include returns to Nordstrom's or or not? Um, you know, what is last quarter me? You know, stuff like that. So I would say, yeah, it's a stop along the journey. If you were to see, you know, all the great things coming out and all the innovation from open source, from all the, the companies uh, in our space, like innovation is happening faster than ever. And yeah, I don't see it slowing down for years to come. Like we're, we're you know, definitely where we are now, you can add incredible, tremendous value. So every company where the uh, lake house is now will be incorporating a lake house technology in the coming years, but uh, it'll get even better over time. There's so, now, and then even more, I foresee so, the future. So I, I think the way I'm interpreting this and kind of think about it is it, it's really at the, the core principles behind what we're, what we're being called a lake house is just being able to go integrate all types of data, the multi-model part. Right. And then from there you have all these types of applications. There's like all these workflows and stuff around that stuff and all these types of application applications. You want to go do that. So there's like the, the foundation of being able to go bring in all these different types of sources. And then there's the management of that. And then 
doing things with that. And then eventually the vendors will say, I'm going to have this one-stop solution for everything. Or the other, other vendor will say, no, I'm more at the lower level. And then there's other vendors who will do more of the, the workflow processing part or applications. So I think that's how we're, we're going to be starting to see how this ecosystem uh, moves on. I mean, that's my interpretation. What is, 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 would you agree with yeah, that yeah. or disagree? Yeah. Or? Yeah, it's an ecosystem. So I think ecosystem is a great way. Yeah, yeah, I think companies are going to want to standardize on one primary, um, you know, lake house uh, environment, since, it, you know, you want to have the same like governance, auditing, controls, traceability, uh, you don't want to move data uh, back and forth. So like the primary core of the lake house, companies will want to standardize. But then there's like a whole bunch of things around that, the visualization, semantic layer, um, applications built on it, domain expertise. Um, I'm missing a lot, but yeah, yeah, you know, to build upon that, uh, that, that whole ecosystem. And by the way, to bring up a statistic, because I did this, I did this also, I'm, I just found it here. Last February, 2020, 2022, I looked on LinkedIn for US-based employees for large companies like General Motors, 3M, Coca-Cola, General Mills. And what we saw was that 3% had some sort of a data title. Hmm. 3% only. 97% of the, are, those, those are the, the non-data people don't have a title of data. They're all, they're, I think I'll argue that everybody's a data person, right? Uh, or should be in a way. But uh, anyway, that's a, that's a put into perspective. So so talking about kind of like we're in our bubble, I think, we live in this bubble of the three percent. Sometimes we got to really get out of it, and then hence kind of our original conversations. Like, can't believe that people don't know what a lake house. Is. Well, yeah, because we're inside that three percent bubble right now. So, um, but anyways, let, let, let's get out of that three percent bubble right now. And 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 our love. I mean, you're the the money ball guy. Like like share us your experiences. Uh, this would be fascinating about kind of everything that you had gone through personally before. When we talked about to do all those sports analytics, you need data. Which is just not numerical, but also streaming and visual, all these things. Like, hi, just 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 share us your experiences. Love to hear this. Yeah, well, I've been uh, very honored, fortunate to have worked in sports analytics for for many decades. I started back in the '80s as an undergraduate at Caltech, which is the Big Bang Theory School. If you like that, they uh, own and run Jet Propulsion Lab, so kind of like Brainiacs. And they have the summer undergraduate research, otherwise known as surf pro program. And I just being a fan uh, ever since a kid and being kind of mathematically minded, just would observe some players that I thought were great would have bad statistics. And you know, some players that I knew would be blown games, they would have great statistics. And a lot of people in sports made complaints about it, but I was one that complained, but then came up with the like, like actual metrics that improved upon it and tried to do it in simple terms so that I could go on like CNN, the Today Show and, you know, stuff like that and explain it to people. So like one of the things that lasted true through today was that anytime you see the letter X in the statistic, like expected goals, expected wins, um, like in any sport was the paradigm that I started uh, way back when. That, that was that research. Still remember giving the, the keynote, such an incredible single point in time, um, like a bunch of Nobel Prize winners and uh, in the audience, uh, industry titans, Gordon Moore from Moore's Law, like I could go on and on. And just hearing me talk about sports uh, analytics and the owner of the Baltimore Orioles was in the audience. He helped me out. Um, I ended up uh, also getting a call from Fred Clare, who's the GM of the Dodgers, happened to see me in the LA Times and just invited me out to Dodger Stadium saying, you know, I don't know yet. He, speaking of vulnerability and humbleness and leadership, he said, I don't know if the, what you are doing are helpful or not, but I want to learn more. Anything that can help me do my job, uh, you know, I want to explore. So he was humble to say he may be willing to learn, but he was um, intentional enough to not just say, hey, what you're doing is great. He just wanted further evidence. And then the rest is kind of history. Uh, maybe one giant lesson learned is every four years, roughly, um, I pretty much had to reinvent myself since all the good ideas that would come out, other teams would hear about it or people would switch jobs and 
they would um, uh, you know, bring those ideas with them or try to do it on their own. But when I did start out uh, with the Dodgers, there was only four people that I had heard of that were employed doing like anything data analytics with sports organizations. And now fast forward um, many, many decades, it's like a whole industry. There's college degrees, there's multiple tens of thousands of people doing that industry, but still have to keep um, growing and iterating every couple of years. And so we could talk about where the data and AI is now, but yeah, the journey at the beginning was there was almost no data. I had to go to a library, get microfilm, hand enter play-by-play data into my own database and um, try to by hand come up with stats. So it would take me a summer of coming up with, you know, probably could be done in a day uh, uh, these days. Yeah, that, that actually was going to be my follow-up question here is that like you didn't have the benefit of massive online libraries of data exposed <laughs> by API and things like that and just things that you can tap into today much more easily. Also didn't have, you know, modern data tools, a modern data stack. You know, what, what was that process like when you really got into, you know, doing the econometrics and stuff like that around and then sabermetrics, et cetera? Like, how did you, you know, what kind of tools were you using? How did you approach that process? Yeah. Have you heard of uh, Paradox, Borland Paradox? It's an old, old, no, old, old, old database. It was before Microsoft Access came out, but that was like a big deal on the computer. So we, um, you know, when I say we, you know, first... Yeah, we uh, just did that to create play-by-play data. And then we could study things like what relief pitcher would be best to be brought in at a certain time or what batter would be used. And so super fun. When I was still a teenager, I was working with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, They had heard of me, my stuff with the Dodgers and hired me there. Um, And Earl Weaver was kind of, people think of him as an old school manager, you know, the the managers that kick dirt into the umpire's face and stuff and argue, but he was one of the innovators in data analytics in, in sports. He was the first person to know what's called a split. If you're a left-handed batter or right-handed batter, left-handed pitcher or right-handed pitcher, he saw that there was a difference. There was an advantage um, by having certain matchups. So he had these famous Earl Weaver index cards uh, that he would, prepare before the game, bring into the dugout. So late in the game, who do you want to pinch hit with? Um, and, and it pretty much worked. The media roasted him, by the way, the kind of what Moneyball was like, you get kind of made, and, and uh, maybe people listening are doing the same thing. Sometimes when you make innovations that help, you get uh, ridiculed or people don't want to change. Um, but Earl was the opposite. He's like, I don't care what the media says. You know, if we make the playoffs, they're going to love me. Um, so one of the awe-inspiring things I got to do is automate the in, the index card of you know the Earl Weaver paradigm with the Orioles um, coming out with math models to help them with the lineup. Uh, Frank Robinson became the manager. He's a Hall of Fame uh, player. Roland Heeman was the GM, Hall of Fame um, general manager. And then we we started winning. And even if we weren't winning, you know. The, the method was still valid. And then I would just, people would hear of me and I'd get uh, hired to different organizations. And so that was early on. And then we uh, kind of ahead of the time, uh, multiple decades ahead of the time, wrote the first database for scouting reports. And the reason that that's relevant today is scouting reports are text with some numeric information where the scout is just saying, uh, what do I think of Tim Gasper's performance and like, oh, Tim's great. Uh, you know, I know his father, he, he has great abilities, uh, but, um, you know, Ari is inconsistent and lacks, you know, uh, the ability. He has a good heart, but he has la- lacks athleticism. And these are all on paper. So making a database in that uh, Paradox program uh, made it so scouts can enter the reports, put it into a centralized database. It's really before Oracle came out, believe it or not. Um, and that way the general manager could just general AI, um, ask a question, who, who are some good third basemen, um, in the American league that we might want to sign and then evaluating how good the scouting reports were. And even now, 
actually working with the Texas Rangers, there's a great article that uh, came out a week ago, a blog that they wrote. They now use, you know, for example, Gen AI. Um, the tactics are more modern, but the idea is the same. A scout writes information. Uh, there's injury reports. Just tell me the summary. What do we think? Is he uh, capable of playing in the majors? What, what's the likelihood? Using Gen AI now. Um, so that, that, that's kind of been the journey. And along the way, uh, really the last like eight years has been a huge revolution in measuring biomechanics, uh, everything that goes on in the field, every limb of a player in live hundreds of times a second. So it's like moving dots and you get the signature of a player ability um, to make improvements, velocity of pitch, spin rate of the pitch, command of the pitch. Um, how you approach your swing. So like when I started out, you could just say, did the batter swing and miss or put the ball in play? It was bullion, yes or no. Um, but now you could say he swung over the, the ball by six inches or by 2.5 inches. <laughs> he was a little bit late. So you get way more precise insights. Way more, there's way more variables now and, and much more data kind of inputting into things. Uh, so listening to you, so two things come to mind. One is, I mean, it's um, history, right? It is so important to kind of like really understand our history, what we've been doing, because a lot of the things that you're describing and either like what, what people wanted and what you were able to accomplish is what people are talking today, right? And then sometimes a lot of people, a lot of folks, especially like a younger generation thinks it's the latest, greatest stuff. I'm like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Like people have been working on this stuff. It's actually working. Like people think things have been advancing. So just know your history because otherwise if you don't, you're just going to be repeating bunches of stuff, right? And then we're not actually making some, we're not making progress or we're making progress, but, but, but wasting our time in a bunch of stuff. So that's one thing, which I really appreciate listening to you. And the second is to, to go through everything that you've been discussing, like you had to have a lot of knowledge, context about the sport, right? Baseball. And I think this is, I mean, just putting in my, my personal interest and bias here is about knowledge. Like it's not just about give me a bunch of data and then just feed it into this, into, into this model, or whatever, or just, just give me more data, give me more spreadsheets, give me more data. And just, it was going to work like, no, no, no. You actually had to understand the meaning, the semantics of knowledge around this stuff. And I think, and I feel that we're in, we live in this world, like going back through pendulums, right? Mm -hmm. we, Swung to a pendulum of like, no, I just I just need is more quantity, more uh, volume and variety, but we're missing the quality, the knowledge, semantics, and and the issue is that that kind of contradicts like I just want more because you got to invest in these semantics, you got to invest in this knowledge. So I see this kind of uh, this this I don't know if it's a contradiction, but it's like I, I, you, you you need to find this balance around it. So. Anyways, I'm sorry to rant. I'm going to shut up here. But what, does this make sense? I'm here eager to hear yeah. your thoughts. Yeah, 100%. It's not a rant. It's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it's where you know you still need the collaboration of people who could actually do like data science or AI modeling, and people who understand the you know both the domain like what how's the business run, and uh, you know people who understand like the human aspect. And I don't mean that as cliche. So for example. You know, I did a lot of work with like Nielsen and IRI, and sometimes the model would recommend um, it, your agreement with Walmart is inefficient, therefore don't sell your product in Walmart anymore. And then the salesperson or the, the business rep would say, you know, we have a five-year deal with Walmart. Even if we want to, we cannot cut it. So, uh, you know, your models can recommend something that the reality of your business uh, just won't work. Uh to do a sports analogy, if um, you are signing, you have a player that's injury prone and their model says to reduce the injury risk, have them become less effective by throwing the pitch like easier. It's going to make the pitcher less vulnerable to injury, but it's also at the same time going to make them less effective. It's like, how do you optimize like the best, uh, you know, performance and injury and health of the athlete to the most effective, you know, so you know those are that you're, you're spot on one of uh, having people like collaborate who know the business and can ask the right questions and know how to paint the picture. When you do have an insight, how do you get real life people to take action? And that's like all all part of communication and being able to relate to the people that can actually affect 
the real world. This is what we need to listen. What we need will be what we need to talk more about because I think we just live in this world, especially going back to that three percent, right? It's like, oh yeah, just give me data. Just, I, I know how to go do this. Give me your data. I'm like, wait, there's the ninety-seven percent rest of the organization. How much are you talking to them, right? And and, and because they probably know more than you. <laughs> and you have to be vulnerable and humble enough. There we go. Yeah. Hey, I love this. We're tying all these topics together. <laughs> Here's what I propose. Does this make sense? How can I make it more relevant to you? You know, stuff like that. Now, I think it goes back to like what we were talking earlier this week. Is when you brought it up in the in the in the sports is like, oh, the the end users, the, the the general manager wants to be able to ask this question, right? And they're like, now we're talking about this in, in the AI now generative AI world. It's like, I want to go chat with my data on these things, but I'm like, well. One thing is that you want to be able to go chat, but you also want to understand where those answers come from, be able to go explain these answers and the explanations would be different. So I think there's a lot to be learned here about how we, like, what we've been doing in the past, but also it's like there's all this context, all this people around that we need to figure out how to go tight. And it's not just like throw it to the machine, to the AI, and we'll do it all correct. You can trust it. So I think that, uh, that's one of the, the, the big kind of just flags on waving out here. Yeah, nice. But um, any any final thoughts? Because I know we, we there's there's we want to go into our, our AI minute, other questions and stuff like that. But just to kind of wrap it up on here, just your final message you want to give to everybody. I will tie the lake house, the sports, the AI all together. Yeah, it, 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 no, it's great. Just always constantly be learning. The technology just keeps. Uh, there's new uh, ways of doing things. You know, uh, educate yourself always strive to learn. I know myself, I keep trying to get certifications and learn the, the latest technology and, you know, feel free to jettison stuff you've done in the past if there's a better way to do things. And, you know, also, uh, you know, jo join organizations, join affinity groups, go to conferences, you know, learn from people. If you haven't spoken, share your experiences. So that that's kind of one of my messages out there. Oh, I love this. And, and, and I think one of the key takeaways I'm having out of this is that vulnerability. I think it's important. Nice. All right. Let's go, let's go to our, our, our next segment here, the, the AI Minute. And we've already talked a lot about AI, but let me just give you, just put in here stopwatch, one minute to go rant about anything you want about AI. Ready, set, go. All right. Rant of AI. Oh, my God. Uh, I A lot of people just focus on what you shouldn't be doing, um, you know, which is a great concern. But I like to start with what what's the potential for humanity? What's the potential for an enterprise business? Um, how can this help personalized uh, health medicine? How can it help humanity? And those are the things I actively want people to, you know, think of the strengths and the positivity. And then once you see where do we think it can help, then you know uh, we're in parallel. You know, figure out the limitations and how we can do things you know, safely, securely, and so on. But yeah, the genie is out of the bottle. Um, let, let's help humanity as best as we can. Love this. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, all right. Lightning round questions. Here we go. I'm going to start. First one. Do all companies and use cases need a lake house? Or can you do things without it? Um, I would say if, if you have... Uh, you know, and uh, you know, large enough data. If you have small data, maybe not. If you have large data, variety of data, um, which is basically any Fortune, you know, 500, S&P 500, Fortune 2000 type of company. Um, if you have data and you want to get insights from that data, um, then yeah, you would you you will will want a lake house. Okay. Uh, but the larger the data, the the um, the, the more value it becomes. That the makes more, sense. Yeah, the more people you have on your team, the more valuable that governance becomes. Yeah, I think that's that's good guidance. Uh, second lightning round question. So, uh, you know, back when you were focused uh, on sports analytics, um, I feel like, you know, it, it, it was a little more controversial, like, uh, whereas, uh, you know, even though the media will still sometimes poke fun at like the analytics guys and yeah. stuff like that, right? Uh, do you feel that's flipped around? Like AKA is sports analytics and data in, in sports a given now? Yeah, um, f for baseball and the NBA, 
yeah, I would say yeah, absolutely. You have teams that are pushing 50 people in the data engineering through data science, like 50 people. Uh, when I started with the Cubs, I think there was like a dozen people in the whole front office, including, you know, the GM and scouts. And it was like a, they went from zero to one of the analytics. Um, the owners have seen the success of being data driven, um, managers and so on. So, um, yeah, I think it, it has flipped around in, in some of the sports In some of the others, you know, you still like maybe the NFL, um, you know, some teams in, uh, you know, international racing, maybe some soccer teams where it hasn't been proven out yet. Um, you know, th there's still room to grow, but yeah, overall, yeah. Tens of thousands of people in the industry collecting data, vendors, whole, huge ecosystem. So that, th that's pretty wild to see since there's a lot of uh, resistance early on. People yeah. wouldn't even want to sit down to even know what they're disagreeing with. <laughs> it's like, that's, no, what no, I'm no, doing. no, 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 yeah. I don't want to hear it, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting how different it is by sport too. That's very interesting. Totally. Yeah, that, that, that was, um, I'm going to take a quick little parenthesis on the Latin American question. It's like, when it comes to sports, like, I'm curious, like, how does, how do, how does this kind of whole approach change from sports to sport? Yeah, so baseball, you know, started out more analytically driven. It's more discrete events. You can measure like a pitch. It's really about how deceptive the pitcher is and how the batter can overcome that deception. And then, you know, some fielding and base running in between. Um, but things like uh, football, like the quarterback, you could do metrics, like how the mechanics are of throwing and passing. But it's really a, more of an interrelated team sport or mm -hmm. international football slash what we call soccer, um, where you get zero to one, maybe more goals, so defining like in economics, a path to purchase there, the path to a goal is few and far between. So it's more like noisy. How, how do people interrelate, um, which is definitely more doable, but um, uh, harder to do. Wow. That is super fascinating. Like, yeah, because like uh, American football, for example, is a much messier system and success is a lot harder to analyze there, whereas between a pitcher and a batter, it's much clearer, like either you hit it or you didn't and right. ready to go. Right. And so success is a lot clearer, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, who do you attribute success to? So if you um, are a quarterback and I hand it to Juan and he, uh, he's a foot from me and he runs 90 yards, I'm the quarterback. I get a 90 yard touchdown pass to my credit, even though he did all the work, or if I throw it, uh, I don't want to use Tim. Uh, if I throw it to uh, uh, myself, you know, someone named Ari, who's wide open in the end zone, it bounces out of my hands. No one's even close to me. As a quarterback, it's an incomplete pass, um, and I get charged. So that's where like the team work and how do you ascribe skill versus luck um, is a challenge. That also drives back to AI. You want to see which variables are. Um, uh, you know, luck and which are actual causal or value. And that's, that's the challenge in every AI uh, problem. And that's even more so a, a challenge in sports, oh, which yeah. athletes are like, if you look next year, what will they be like? Don't look at the results as much. So side, note, side note to our listeners. I feel like we need to have a second episode at some point sure. where all we do is we talk about this topic. Cause like now my brain is thinking about like attribution models and stuff like that. Yeah. And like, Oh, that's, so, there's so well, much we could do there. Here's the thing is that not, not everybody's going to agree too. Right. So then like this goes back into the whole, the knowledge and the people, like, what do you think? So there's like, if there's not even an agreement, then yeah. How, how do we, yeah. How, how do we figure out how to go forward here? But we, because we still need to go forward somehow. So. Yeah, MTA, multi-touch attribution. Mm -hmm. Marketing people still struggle with that. Mm -hmm. How did somebody, like, what tactics work to make that, a sale? That, that, yeah, you saw an ad, you went to the conference, you talked to a salesperson. Yeah. How do I, you know, how do I attribute? Yeah. That's why, that's why it, one thing I've learned and I always tell people is, like, if you want to go start, like, figure out that in the data world of organization, go to marketing. Mm -hmm. they're, in, they're touching, they're, their hands are all over the place, so. Uh, all right. Next, next question. Get back into the AI stuff. So will generative AI take over most of the code generation for engineers in the near future? Note that I'm saying code generation for the engineers, not taking away engineers jobs. Yes. Yeah. Great question. I 
I, I, uh, I would say, you know, overall, yes, that um, from what I've seen, and it's still not even a year into it, that, um, you know, Cogen is pretty cool. Uh, a lot of times it's working. Uh, but what I kind of foresee, um, there's a great speech uh, at our Databricks uh, conference with Eric Schmidt, uh, you know, one of the innovators, where basically the code gen of code um, will elevate people to the next level. So instead of having like entry level people writing simple Python code, you have like a scrum master or agile development, a human directing other humans of, you know, what the daily sprints are like, it'll be a human directing code gen, you know, gen AI bots, but you'll still need people to make sure, is it solving the problem we want? Um, or maybe the code gen can only go up to like a second year, you know, uh, professional, and you still need humans to do the more complex parts. But yeah, I think the vast majority of what people are coding on today will, will be automated. The coding, the documentation, um, everything around that. And it'll it'll be fascinating. Uh, like we're talking about years. I have kids that are going to college next year, and I don't know what to tell them what will be good in four years from now. So I just right. tell them, you know, problem solving, you know, relating with right. people and problem Critical solving. thinking. Things Critical are changing thinking. fast. <clears throat> All right, Tim, you got the last All right. one. Last lightning round question. So uh, around AI, there's a lot of, you know, proprietary advances going on. But there's also a lot of open source advances going on around AI. And a lot of times it's the interplay between the two that gets super interesting. Do you see that the biggest innovation in AI right now is actually happening in open source? Um, uh, well, ChatGPT is taking all the headlines, but I do see you know, in the non-3% one of uh, companies that want to do generative AI, on their own data sets um, using their own lingo. So if you have a data set in healthcare, you don't wanna use ChatGPT since that's just like general. It has like, I don't know, Seinfeld episodes built in. Uh, um, you want it based on like the lingo of your, um, you know, your industry. And also oftentimes you have proprietary data that you don't want leaked out in the world or you want it trained on your own data. So a lot of that is, like in the open source world, a lot of that is proprietary. Um, you know, Databricks did acquire Mosaic ML for over a billion dollars, so that helped out. But I just see the whole industry. Um, you know, I, I think at first it was proprietary, but now it's getting easier and easier, faster, faster, cheaper, cheaper to make large language models. Um, you know, like Mosaic, you could build it, you know, pretty much right away with almost no coding experience. Point to the data set and you could generate it. Mm -hmm. And you know, still we're within a year of all of this just happening. So I do think eventually open source is going to win out since if you have free, um, fast, easy works, um, that, that's going to be paying million dollars to, to a company to build it for you. Mm -hmm. interesting uh, very interesting point we'll see we'll see yeah. in the next uh we'll just we'll, we'll do a time check one year and see how we're doing then we'll... i know it's changing yeah. so fast that yeah every every year we got to check in and everything could be different so yeah. it's, it's exciting all right well uh, let's uh, wrap it up start wrapping it up tim takeaways we, all right there's so, so many takeaways. takeaways i don't think we're even doing a service for all the stuff we discussed so let's do our best <laughs> i know there's so much here so um i'll just make a few quick points on the takeaways which is we started off with you know what is the lake house and some people are like i've been hearing all about lake houses for the last 10 years and some people are like lake house what are you talking about right and it's interesting to see that spread here and Ari, you had mentioned that the lake house is really pretty tightly woven into this idea of the modern data stack and that there are these two paradigms, structured data warehouse and more of the data lake around sort of unstructured or larger data sets. 
but the best predictions and the best uh, data work is really when you can bring these two modes together. And the lake house does that. It, it's bringing those two different modes together in one place with a single platform, a single approach to governance, uh, where you can kind of get the best of those both of both those worlds and, and, and also achieve things like great performance as well. Um, and uh, we also talked uh, about AI as well and how that can be an important workload for lake houses. Um, but uh, also that, uh, you know, with the generative AI movement and how much uh, has been advancing there, that, um, you know, it's becoming more um, uh, possible as well as more, imp uh, more important to do things like get insights from text, from images, from unstructured data. Um, and uh, the best way that you're going to do that is when you have this sort of multimodal environment. And that's where the lake house is going to really come in. Um, and, uh, and you also had mentioned that it's uh, something that can work well for lots of different personas. So you might have more of your business personas and therefore you're just going to be using BI tools, maybe directly with SQL, et cetera, et cetera. But then you've got your data engineers, your data scientists, maybe your AI developers and things like that. And, and, and this is going to be an environment that's going to work well for them as well. Where is the lake house kind of going? Is it complete? Is it complicated? Well, you have to know the personas. The technical folks want to get more into the technical side of it, and the business folks want to keep it a little bit more high level. That's fine. Um, and uh, companies are going to want to standardize on sort of one priority environment, one main data environment. So you're kind of thinking that you know folks are going to going to pick kind of that that one center of the universe, and then they're going to build around that. And there's an ecosystem that's going to you know continue to develop and expand around that. So I thought that was that was a, a nice kind of way to think at a high level about lake houses. Uh, Juan, what about you? Your takeaways? Well, let's we'll continue. We, we got into the sports and the money ball section, right? All your all your experience. I mean, fascinating. You started working right since the eighties, right? You go into Caltech around this and how you just started looking. Like some players had bad stats, but were clutch at games at key moments, and some had great stats but bad in games. Like so, what gives around this stuff? So that's kind of really what got you into this kind of seeing that that disconnect and want to go ask yourselves why is that happening? So. Like when you see the letter X in stats, like that's a paradigm that you helped to start there. And so you 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 showed up in the LA Times, right? The Dodgers reached out, and and it was just great that they don't even know if this is going to help, but they wanted to go learn. And hey, the rest is history. So one thing is always reinvent yourself every four years. I really mm -hmm. like that. I think we see this a lot. And talking about tools and approaches before, like there wasn't even that data, right? You had to go get that from microfilms, get the stats by hand, and you use the database paradox, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of history there I'm learning right now. Uh, so you wrote your first databases around this for scouting reports, even before Oracle. Uh, and eventually, like, there's all these questions people want to ask. Like now we're talking about like chatting with the data. People have been wanting and have been doing this before. Like the general manager wants to ask, who are the good third basement that we might put or promote or, or assign here, right? So scouts can input all this information. And, and, and now we take it, what we're doing now is like, we have so many, so much more data, physical data that we're analyzing, just approaches to swings and so forth. So AI is here all over the place on how we can not just generate things, but also analyze, uh, categorize and predict. And one of the things that kind of wrapped up, it was a theme around a lot of stuff was knowledge, right? The knowledge is critical like you may your model may say may recommend you to do things but it may not, it doesn't know the context so hey you should not be selling to x anymore but you're like i have to because we have a contract so that's not a valid recommendation or hey this player is prone to injury so tell them to throw the ball softer it's like yeah i mean that makes sense but at the same time it doesn't make sense right so for this you're like you really need to talk to people you really need to understand the context of business and the, talk to people to collaborate to paint the picture so once you get those insights and i think this wraps it all around is vulnerability, be able to understand, be explicit when you don't know things and just reach out and say, need, need help. Uh, beautiful wrap ups. You, you were paying attention though, but you summed it all up beautifully. <laughs> oh, this was all you. So quickly to wrap up, uh, what's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? Yeah, you know, the advice again, you know, innovate yourself, keep learning and, and, and networking. Uh, gee, who should be the next guest? Just uh, thinking close to home. So my prior company, I co-hosted podcast with Ben Taylor, who is now the chief strategist at Data IQ. He is like, like uh, one of the most creative, innovative people, modern day Forrest Gump, as he calls himself, would be good. And then Recently did this um, show for our conference called Live from the Lake House, which was wild. We had 75,000 registrants for the online streaming. And I had some co-hosts um, that all have such vastly different backgrounds. 
um, from sales to marketing in, in the, the AI and data space. So uh, Pearl Uberu, Holly Smith, Jimmy Oyanii, uh, all super energetic, but great perspectives um, would be great. Fascinating. I'm just looking that up. Paul, we're definitely going to ping you to help us reach out to them. Uh, yeah. probably, any, any resources that you follow, uh, people, blogs, uh, conferences, or uh, magazines, yeah. or whatever? Yeah, I, I, so much. But um, yeah, I recently, like Advancing Analytics, they kind of have a YouTube channel. They're um, like everything, not just Lake House, but like from, you know, they're vendor neutral. So like you get the real deal from them. And I've learned a lot, a lot of like myself when I was interviewing at Databricks, I was like watching them. So I know what's up. Um, and then uh, Kate Strachny with uh, Dedicated. Um, you mentioned Cindy Housen. You know, there are a lot of great folks. And then, you know, I also do follow analyst firms, especially like Gartner and Forrester who talk directly with customers and have uh, their own methodology to like quantify what, what's the value and what are people really doing? All right. Well, with that, thank you so much. Uh, just quick next week, we have Alexa Westlake from Okta to discuss data that does not drive results is useless. After that, uh, Tim and I are going to be in Europe. We're going to be in Amsterdam. I've got London. Uh, so we'll, more, more come. All right. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. This has been awesome. You too. Thank you. Cheers.